the dumpster fire that is Twitter Blue. They presently pause purchases of Twitter Blue due to all the confusion, but that doesn't mean they won't bring it back. This is what it presently looks like on Twitter if you get Twitter Blue. Verified account. This account is verified because it's subscribed to Twitter Blue. This is what it looks like if you're just account verified, like for being an per important person or whatever. Account information. This account is verified because it's notable in government news, entertainment, or another designated category. As Pop Crave says here, tapping on a profile's verified badge will tell you if that user is a verified public figure or if they purchase verification through Twitter Blue. Why in any reality would you make Twitter Blue look exactly the same as the verification system? There is no functional reason why they have to do it this way. I can only think it's because they wanted to drive attention to Twitter Blue or they're just dumb. I don't think this presentation is going to lead to a significant increase in the amount of people getting Twitter blue. Outside of memeing, but not that many people are going to meme. Like, it's not going to nudge the revenue of Twitter. And so you've had, like, Nintendo of America, checkmark, and just Mario giving the finger. Verification is meaningless if people can spend $8 on it. And it's causing a lot of confusion and nonsense that's completely unnecessary on Twitter. And I'm, am I going to buy it? No, of course not. I mean, things could change, but I have no idea why I would at this point. But there is a new great official checkmark for celebrities and organizations. This hasn't rolled out to anything except iOS currently. So eventually there's going to be like two different checkmarks and stuff. It's just going to cause even more confusion because of the checkmark looking a particular way for so long. Just dumb. They, they could have made Twitter Blue look different from the account, the normal account verification and just kept the account verification the same way. But Elon Musk is a meme guy. And so it's like, ha now the blue checkmark people are going to be mad and now everyone can have the blue checkmark and it's not going to be special. <laughs> I just don't think CEOs should be making business decisions based on memes, okay? And Elon keeps doing that and it just looks dumb. It is super cringe. Pay $8 on Twitter or get shadow banned. I keep seeing multiple people mention on Twitter that non-verified users get shadow banned. So what's happening is that anyone who pays $8 is going to be at the top of any mentions on top of any searches and on the top of any replies. So what you're going to have is people with Twitter blue who want to promote themselves. They're going to be like, oh, that's really funny, guy. Haha, <laughs> go to my Twitch, go to my YouTube channel. Haha, <laughs> you know, I am very funny guy. And you can see that because my message comes up first. Ha ha ha. Anyone who's actually funny, actually interesting, actually saying something of value, who doesn't pay $8, just going to be pushed down. So the overall quality of the platform is going to massively diminish. It's not going to be a free-flowing conversation between fairly equal people. Even when it was the case that, you know, you had the check mark, people didn't get pushed up in the rankings. They didn't get pushed up in the replies and stuff. Twitter is going to be much more pay to win than ever before. And any scammy, scummy thing is just immediately going to pay $8 and fucking go to town. It's just dumb. So you're not getting shadow banned because you'll still be visible if you're searched and stuff, but it's just that you won't be prioritized in anything unless you pay $8. But again, Elon Musk talks a lot of shit. It may not actually go down this way. If a random tweet from someone can cause him to drop the potential price of Twitter Blue from $20 to $8, Elon Musk could, you know, talk to someone as he's driving to work or something, and they could be like, hey, you should make Twitter Blue green, and it will then be green. Like, who knows what the man's gonna do? Like, oh, Shrek memes are, are popular again. I need to be cool like the kids. I'm gonna make Twitter Blue now Twitter green, just like Shrek, ha-ha. Twitch is going to stop partnering reactors? 
So I've often criticized that Twitch is basically just a website where people watch YouTube videos. It doesn't really have its own identity anymore. All the top Twitch streamers are just people who sit for hours on end watching YouTube videos so they can upload them to YouTube, take impressions away from YouTubers to grow themselves and then to bring that audience to Twitch. And no one can compete with that because if in 20 minutes you can get a video that would normally take a month to make, obviously you're gonna beat everyone else in the market. But interestingly, this happened. Someone requested partnership on Twitch and they were denied. Evaluating your channel, it seems that a great portion of your content is reactionary content. At this time, we don't believe that type of content is appropriate for the partner program. The problem with this is the word reactionary can mean two different things. One, it can refer to a person who does a lot of reaction content, which clearly this guy does. Like he would just sit there for, you know, how many hours, four hours just watching YouTube videos, right? But it's also a reference to uh, a type of politics. So whether this is referring to something he's done politically or something he's doing with in terms of his reaction content, it's hard to say because apparently he's both. He could have been rejected on the basis of politics or he could have been rejected on the basis of the reaction content that he does where pretty much everything he does is just watching YouTube videos. Like obviously Twitch is never going to like start enforcing copyright because for, for endless different reasons, legal reasons, and it's not in their best interest. But this would be interesting if they're going to stop partnering people who just sit and watch YouTube videos all day. Because it's hard to imagine they're going to like unpartner their biggest creators or something. But like, this is just weird to me. I, I've never heard of a person getting rejected because of their, their political leanings. I haven't heard of a person getting rejected because of reaction content. And for that reason, this is an interesting development. It'll be interesting to see if uh, anything comes of it. I bought hand-painted Pokemon cards. So I want to open these on stream. There's a person I met at the Christmas party for my management group, you know, last year, uh, named Lisa. And she, like, paints Pokemon cards to complete their picture. Uh, I bought three from her, and so I want to show them to you. So it's, like, it's like tied in this little cute bundle, and it's got, like, wax on it. I probably should have got myself... Ah, here we go. Hello Viper, thank you so much for the lovely commission and supporting my small business. I hope you enjoy the package and hope everything gets to you safely. Please let me know if you ever need anything. Warmest regards, Lisa. So I could have got them in um, frames or like acrylic slabs. I picked the slabs. Yeah. See a little Bulbasaur? So it used to be a Pokemon card. See, you can see on the back it's a Pokemon card. I wanted to get all the starter Pokemon cards from my childhood. Little Charmander. So like if you saw the original card, you'd see that like, like it's the, it's the actual card, but then just like completed. And there's little Squirtle. Hey, and a little cute. That's really lovely. I got to find somewhere to put them. I considered having them all three framed together and stuff. But regardless, if you have a particular Pokemon card you want done in this way, and I'll put her Twitter on screen. It's like Marilla. If you're interested in that kind of thing, check it out. Will YouTube streaming beat Twitch streaming? Do you think YouTube streaming is getting better by the week? YouTube has thousands of the greatest minds, the greatest technicians, engineers, whatever. Their job is just to think of ways to keep them ahead of their competitors, to grow the tools that people have without potentially overwhelming people, to continue to grow and, and be the best in the live streaming market. And they've got just endless amounts of money to achieve that ends. So every year things should get better to a degree, I imagine. 
mean, progress isn't guaranteed. Obviously, they can make things worse. Obviously, we can fall backwards. The legislation can screw stuff. But I'm pretty optimistic in regards to YouTube live streaming. The new NVIDIA video encoder is useless. With the new graphics cards that have come out, all of them, like, uh, they all have some variation of this. There's new codecs, encoders, whatever, for recording that is better than what we normally use in that you can have higher quality for like smaller file sizes, which when you're streaming and stuff, that's pretty good. The problem is though, I use Adobe Premiere and the files that this new encoder outputs cannot be used in Adobe Premiere. I didn't know this, so four days worth of streaming, huge hassle to convert it and to get it to work or whatever, but it's, it's been sorted. But ultimately that means that I can't use this new encoder. It's just too much of a pain in the ass for the little benefit that it gives me. Adobe Premiere is garbage, but there are so many different types of files that they just refuse to accept in the software, regardless of how popular they are. It's crazy to think how many people kind of, or different companies need to be on board to be able to get a new standard accepted by everyone. Like this new codec exists, this new encoder exists, and it isn't accepted by Twitch or YouTube for live streaming. It's not, not useful there. I've got the hardware, it can do it, but it just doesn't want it. Doesn't work in Adobe Premiere, so I can't use it as well. So I've got a graphics card that can do this and, and it would be amazing if I could use it, but I just can't, so. Is pirating media justified? Opinion on pirating. If you do not have the money to support something or there are service related issues in that it isn't even accessible for you to get something, then pirating is justified in my book, right? If a person isn't willing to provide you a service that you can pay for easily, then you aren't one of their customers that they want, so fuck them. If you're a person who is effectively destitute, you got no money in your pocket or whatever, the least of your concerns is the balance sheet of some multi-billion dollar company, right? But in general, if you got the money to support stuff, especially, you know, potentially smaller creators or smaller people who've just, they've released one book or something. No, not these billion dollar companies, but in general, you should be paying for stuff. I agree with Gabe Newell when he says that piracy is largely a service issue. Is that his exact phrasing? Where for people who have the money, it's usually more of a pain in the ass to pirate stuff than it is to just pay for it. It is much simpler for me to go into Steam, type in some words and then download a game than it is for me to put on a VPN, go into some random website, make sure that I'm not being given viruses or whatever, install it, make sure that the thing actually works, then I can't get patches and stuff. And it's just a huge hassle. If you got the money and the service is available, generally you won't pirate, as far as I'm concerned. Darth Vader uses the piracy is a-okay. Often with most things, it depends on like your particular circumstances, your reasons for doing something and the consequences of your actions. I don't really have blanket statements in regards to morality this thing is bad or this thing is good. It's more like everything is kind of conditional on like the consequences, the variables at play, who's doing it and why, these kind of things. In the same way that in general, it's probably not a good idea to shoot a person in the head. Not a fan of that kind of stuff. But I mean, if a person's uh, about to blow up a bomb or something, can kill 12 kids, and the only way to stop them is to shoot them in the head, in that particular case, you go, okay, well, that kind of makes sense for something to be that to be allowable, Th those kind of things. There's always those situations for everything you want to speak on in regards to morality. Morality, complicated, shocker. Can you actually master something after 10,000 hours? 
10,000 hours to master something, would you say you master GTA overall, not just speedrunning? It's not 10,000 hours of doing something that causes you to master it, it's dedicated practice and testing the boundaries of what you already know. Like, if you played the same song on guitar for 10,000 hours, you get good at that song, but you wouldn't master the guitar. You've always got to be going that next little step, the next little step, next little step, testing the limits of what you know to truly master something at 10,000 hours. I believe people just saying 10,000 hours is either shorthand or like, to simplify something that's kind of true. Like, all practice is not valuable practice. What kind of audience am I trying to appeal to? The TV, the guy who delivered the TV today and in, in put it on the wall, I always get asked what I do and I say I'm a YouTuber. He's like, oh, check out your stuff. And I'm like, oh, you don't have to, man. It's not for everyone. Whenever I meet a person in real life, I'm like, is this the kind of person who likes my content? I don't know. I expect that the vast majority of people won't like my content because it is fairly niche. I am not targeting anyone with my content. I am making content that I think is good and that I can enjoy. And I'm hoping that the algorithm can present that, push that around and find people who have similar tastes to myself. Like it is clear that I have not reached market saturation in the sense that if the algorithm tomorrow put my content in front of literally everyone on the planet, I would gain more viewership than what I have right now. I appeal to who I appeal to. I'm not really tailoring my content or myself to appeal to anyone in particular. It is clear that I could potentially tailor my content in a way to uh, capture a wider audience. Someone in chat mentioned my swearing. I, I find it weird to think that there are people out there who just won't watch stuff that has swearing in it, but they do exist. How sponsored creators are implicitly manipulated to give good coverage. When reviewing a game, are you required to refrain from talking shit about it till after review? Very rarely do they specify that you have to have a particular tone. But as I've talked about before, companies don't like it when you shit talk them. You have an incentive to find value in what you're being presented to, to promote. So even if you consider yourself to be above board, you would never lie to your viewers, you would never uh, lead them astray, there is clearly an incentive, even an implicit one, a subconscious one, for you to not necessarily shit talk whatever you're playing with, right? It's why, like, remember Total Biscuit, the person who, you know, was a reviewer of games, he used to say, like, you send me a gift basket, I would never, I would never review your games. Or rather, like, I, I'll, I'll disclose it, I, I can't remember his exact phrasing, but he was like, that's now in my head, you're a nice person, you've, you've given me a gift basket of chocolates or something, and when I'm reviewing your game, maybe that's not at the forefront of my mind, but that's in there somewhere, and that's gonna taint my, the way that I perceive your work, and potentially may lead me to not be as harsh as I should be. And, and that will always exist in sponsored content, right? Generally speaking, when I play games, I just like to show you the game. I like my commentary to just be humorous about the game itself, what's going on, the cutscenes and stuff. I'm making, trying to make witty, funny commentary. I'm not necessarily trying to steer you to like it or dislike it. I want to show it to you, not necessarily tell you what to think about it. But obviously, I've been paid to play the game, and that money is even if not at the forefront of my mind, is going to potentially subconsciously lead me to present things in a particular way or be less negative than I otherwise would be or what have you. Take my sponsored gameplay as something you can potentially enjoy as I'm trying to make it enjoyable and judge the game for yourself and get a wide variety of sources of reviews for games. Skill up, nice guy, respect his reviews, go watch them as well. If you really care, you should never rely on 
one person for an impression of a game anyway. Why people are put off when I speak about what I buy. Previously, I've talked about how I had a comment or two people remarking that I talk a lot about stuff that I'm purchasing and whatnot. And I said, this is just, you know, because I find this stuff interesting and I'm not trying to hide that I make a bit of money. But someone commented that maybe the re thing that most people the wrong way isn't me talking about things that I'm buying, but that I mentioned the cost of stuff and like it's expensive stuff. And for me, again, it's more about transparency, but also because it's a part of the YouTube game. Where it's like, I bought this thing for a gajillion dollars. Ah, and you you just expect people to be more interested in things because the number big. Bigger number, better thing, you know. But I do recognize that it likely sounds obnoxious being like, hey, look how much money I spent on my blinds, huh? So I guess it's just, you know, me playing the YouTube game and I will try to do it less, maybe. How can people play professional tennis without getting bored? How I didn't get burnt out on GT5 after playing it for so long? As I say, when you have an audience that's captivated with what you're doing when you have your own particular goals that you want to achieve and you know when you enjoy something it's easy i mean think of anyone who does a particular game as an esport or something not only that people who do like sports for a living people who play tennis for 30 plus years i've been watching a lot of videos about tennis pros and stuff they just got recommended to me in the algorithm and i found a, a channel called cult tennis and i was like man this is interesting how this is being presented and the stories of different people, how they became successful in tennis. But holy shit, how do you play tennis for decades? How do you do that? It looks so boring. But to them, like all the minutia of uh, all the ways that you handle particular situations and whatnot and, and reaching your physical prime and, and trying to be the best, climbing up the rankings, it's just like playing a video game to these people, but more athletic and better for you. If, if you've got that drive, you want to be the best, you want to achieve particular goals, it's no longer boring. You know, you don't, you don't think of that that way. I am getting laser eye surgery. Yeah, I'm getting my laser eye surgery in a week. I am fairly nervous about it. I mean, they've never caused the person to go blind and stuff and what have you, but it is a surgery. Yeah, I need to give my consent and stuff and sign a bunch of scary forms and whatnot. I hope I'm not on my ass for too long. Yeah, I just hope it goes well. Why I got a psychology degree. What was the reason you wanted to attend college to earn a psychology degree? Always been interested in people and why they believe as they do and act as they do. It just so happened coincidentally that my leaving of my job repairing hearing aids happened to coincide with the enrollment for the university. And I was just like, well, you know, it's good as time as any and uh, always want to help people. So learn some good things, potentially help people. Sounds like a plan. Do libraries still serve a purpose? I want to hear your views on libraries. I've heard people say libraries are dead, but as a person who works at one, we are swamped. I also have met people who have not been in one ever since they were a child. I haven't been to a library in like probably 15 years. But I support the existence of libraries because they seem to make sense. Like there should always be somewhere in society where a person can go for peace and quiet and to access information for free. As I've often talked about, your ability to prosper and, and, and develop in society is dependent upon, in large part, your access to some, at least the basic resources that you need. You know, shelter, food, information, da da da. And libraries existing will always mean that for people who hit rock bottom, they are always available. And that's to me is their functional purpose, to give people a, a leg up, bring themselves out of uh, destitution. But obviously they serve a more functional purpose for a lot more people. Like if you're, you need to study and you have a household full of kids and whatnot, or 
You just need peace and quiet away from everything. A library is good for that. You, as you, obviously, you can access better internet than what a lot of people have in some places. Um, you, obviously, books are still very valuable. People like books. Yeah, I, I, I would never want to see a society without libraries. To hear that they're still swamped, that's great. I do hear that, you know, book reading is still as popular as ever, if not growing in popularity in some places, which is somewhat surprising given how ubiquitous internet access is and all that stuff. But I mean, I wonder if they include audiobooks in that. But yeah, libraries, A+, plus in my view. Investments in people have returned for society, and I consider investments in, in, in libraries to be investments in people.